How y'all doing? Oh, that's a little bit better. Awesome. Well, hey, um, a couple of things for you, just to kind of help you out in this tonight. Hopefully you have a pen and you have something to take notes with. And hopefully you've got like a sixth finger because you're going to need to be able to take it off and stick it at one place so that you can go back and, never mind. You may want to take a, a sheet of paper or something. And uh, yeah, I see somebody counting fingers back there. Um, you may want to take a sheet of paper and just have something for a bookmark because we're primarily going to be in two different areas of scripture, okay? Just a heads up. First area, John 10, verse 7. First person who finds that, yell out the page number. John 10, verse 7. 917, since you're the first person, can you stand up and read it for us? John 10, 7 through 10. So somebody say, what does this mean? Oh, y'all can do better than that. What does this mean? Interaction. Thank you. Great question. I'm glad you asked. But before we get started, let's actually look at what this verse does not mean. Sound good? All right, let me give you a couple examples. It is not the meme. Y'all know what a meme is, right? Okay. It is not the meme I saw on social media uh, post this past week that read you waited now God is about to am amaze you and then of course I see people responding oh yes God I waited please amaze me it is not God has a wonderful plan for your life that is not what that verse means it is not live your best life now It is also not, and I quote, you are destined to reign in life. You are called by the Lord to be a success, to enjoy wealth, to enjoy health, and to enjoy a life of victory. It is not the Lord's desire that you live a life of defeat, poverty, or failure, end quote. That is not what that verse means. Let me give you a little bit of information here. Drop some 411 on you, okay? No matter how much you worship, your worship does not always equal victory over your adversaries. It does not always equal health, wealth, college scholarships, and world championships. You see, God is not some cosmic Santa Claus. He's not a heavenly genie in a bottle just waiting to answer all of your requests. No matter how much you praise him, he says, all right, praise me more and I'll give you this. If you praise me a little bit more, I'll give you this. That's not what God's doing. And that's not what that scripture says. 
in response to all of those things that I just read, John Piper says this. He says, think about this. If God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, then God hated the Apostle Paul. I'll read that again. If God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, then God hated the Apostle Paul. So when Jesus says, rich and satisfying life, or maybe some translations say an abundant life, none of this stuff is what he means. So you ask the question, thank you. What does he mean? Somebody's paying attention. All right, take your bookmark, put it there. Flip over to Philippians, chapter 3, starting in verse 7. We're going to be in these two areas tonight. John 10, Philippians 3. For those of you who lost, it's page 1049. All right, everybody got your pens out? Hold your pen up. Some of y'all aren't holding pens up. All right. Here we go. I want to get you to, to make a couple of underlines in your Bible, all right? You ready? No. Okay. I'll give you one more second. Page 1049, Philippians 3. All right, here we go. Verse 7. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider. That word there, underline that. Consider. Paul wrote, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Because of what Christ has done, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting, underline that word counting, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For it's God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. All right, how many underlines you got? Two. All right, we're going to make one more. We're going to make one small edit, okay? Don't be offended. I'm not going to go into the history of translations, but just so that you get the point here, okay? Go back to verse 8. First word there is yes, comma, right? If you've got NLT, it's yes, comma, everything. Y'all are throwing me off. Some of y'all are saying no. Y'all going to mess me up up here. All right. After that comma, y'all know what a carrot is? Not the orange vegetable, but you know what a carrot is when you turn in your English paper and, that, and your English teacher? A little up arrow. Yes, you missed a word. Okay. Right after that comma, draw a little up arrow. And write, I consider. And just so that we have good English here, over there where it says, everything else is, kind of write above that as. Again, we want to have good English in our scripture. So it should read something like, yes, I consider everything else as worthless. Here's why I do that. Okay, now how many words do you have underlined? You should have that word underlined as well. 
two plus one, three. There we go. All right, three words. For those of you who've been raised in church, when Jesus or Paul or disciple or whoever says something three times, it's what? It's important. Okay? A little information for you. The word there, the reason I had you write that word in is because it kind of gets lost in the translation, but the original Greek uses the same Greek word three times. So you see it here as consider, and then I had you write in consider, and then you see the third way, counting. All right? But some translations will have all three as considered. So you may see I, I consider, I consider, I considered, or you may see something like I counted, or another word would be I regarded. Okay, depending on your translation. But the cool thing is, is all three times is the same Greek word. So let me ask you this. And again, as you, if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm looking for a little participation here. What do you think the Greek word means? I consider, okay, maybe... I hate it when pastors say, hey, what do you think the Greek word means? Consider? Duh, no. Okay. I don't know if this is like a, a dad joke for pastors, but who knows. But here's the literal definition for what that word means, okay? Literal, literal translation, literal meaning. If you were to look that Greek word up in some Greek dictionary, here's what it means. It says, to hold a view or have an opinion with regard to something. So I'm holding a view or I'm having an opinion in regard to something. That's the literal meaning. But we want to be good Bible stewards, stewards or students and look at words in context. So if you were to take those words and look at it in the context of what's going on in the rest of these verses, it actually has to do with this concept of accounting. Okay? I know you think school's out. You're going to have a little school tonight, all right? accounting there's two columns in accounting a credit column and a debit column how many has a checkbook or savings account all right almost all of you when you put money into your account what do you do you credit your account right when you take money out of your account what do you do you debit. There you go. You're catching on. Good job. So Paul's saying, look, I've got, these two, I've got this account over here, this spiritual account, where I've got this credit and this debit column. Okay? And he's saying, look, I'm working. I'm trying to make all of these credits, these spiritual credits, I'm trying to do all this, this stuff in my life so that somehow, some way, that at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I have more credits than I have debits. In other words, I'm, I'm hoping that my good outweighs the bad. That was, that was my perspective. Paul says, that's how I started, looking at my credits, looking at my debits, and then hopefully measuring everything up. I had more credits than debits, and I'd have a positive account. Somehow my good outweighed the bad. When you look at what Paul did, okay, many of us couldn't 
actually compare ourselves to Paul and his rigor in his following what he considered the gospel or what he considered the law back then. If you want a kind of a resume to see what Paul did, look a couple of verses back starting in verse 4. Philippians 3 verse 4. He says, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then he lists them. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. I obeyed the law without fault. Paul's saying, look, I've got game. When it comes to this spiritual debits and credits column, I've got game. I know how to do this. When you look at my spiritual bank account, all he's seeing is dollar signs dropping Franklin's left and right okay I've got credits here sure I may have a couple of debits here but everything that the law requires I've done and I've done it to a T I'm batting a thousand but then Paul says two words depending on translation I considered or I counted or I regarded. He starts out looking at his, his spiritual account. And at the end of that, at, when he gets to the end, he says, but wait, I considered. And he says, after all of my calculations, after examining all of my debits and my credits, okay, let me stop right there real quick. Side note. I live in northeast Georgia right now, okay? I have for the past 10 years, 15 years, or 12 years, something like that. I don't know. But I was actually born and raised in L.A. Anybody know what that is? What? What is L.A.? Nope. Lower, all my Alabama people know what L.A. is. Lower Alabama. Yep. You're not from the south. No. L.A., Lower Alabama. And, y'all, down there, we, we kind of talk a little funny. And we eat things like boiled peanuts. Not boiled, not boiled peanuts, boiled peanuts. See, y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I had to culturalize my wife when we got married. She was from South Florida eating all this grilled stuff. I was like, grilled, we eat fried. Okay? And so, listen up. I went to school. I got a degree so I could take some of this stuff and, and kind of translate it back to my native Alabamians, all right, because of our own language down there. So if Paul came from lower Alabama, basically what he's saying is like, after all of this, after all my figuring and my reckoning, yeah, come on. And if, for those of you who are taking notes and don't know how to spell that, sorry, I can't help you. Okay, but after all of that, I realized it didn't matter how many debits or credits that I had. 
after I looked at that other spiritual account, it didn't matter. Because here's the deal. Get this. I was looking at the wrong account. I created the spiritual account of my own, looking at all my credits and my debits, and he says, it didn't matter. I worked for this, what the world told me was a rich and satisfying life. And now I get to this point, after I considered, it was all in vain. My focus was wrong. And I, instead of that account of my own making, I should have been focused on a different account. Check this out. An account that only had one debit and one credit. My sin and Jesus' righteousness. It's the only thing that mattered. Everything else is meaningless, worthless, rubbish, garbage, garbage. When I considered all the good things I did and compared them to the account that really mattered, none of that stuff even came close. Look at Philippians 3, 7 again. He said, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. The infinite value of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. You don't have to turn there, but in your Bibles or in your notes, write down John 17:3. Jesus says the exact same thing. This is what it says in NLT. It says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. And if you look back in Philippians 3, go down to verse 10. What's the first five words of that verse? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. You want a rich, satisfying life? Are you tired of trying to build this, this credit and debit column, hoping and praying that you've got more credit than debit at the end of your life? It's only found in one place. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. One place. And John 10, 11, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. In other words, I have a relationship with my sheep. You've got to hear God's voice. You can't, you know, as, as great as these guys and girls are around the room, your relationship with Christ doesn't go through them. And your relationship with Christ doesn't just exist up here on this mountain. It's something you take with you. And yet, today, 
we're still trying to build our spiritual bank accounts we think we can earn credits by going to church having our quiet times praying leading huddles depending on on your beliefs maybe going to confession taking communion taking part in the Eucharist maybe it's saving the planet or helping old ladies across the street whatever but none of that stuff matters because if that's what you're focused on you're focused on the wrong account all that stuff is good it's all good stuff beyond none of that will bring you life there's only one thing one thing that can bring you life and that's knowing Jesus personally you want life pursue him that's where it's found All right, turn back to John 10. As you're turning, you know, we're talking about, and I'm sure you've heard your huddle leaders talk this week already about having that relationship with Christ. And if you don't have that, I encourage you to seek them out. That is the number one priority. It's not for you to get great leadership skills we hope that you do but y'all that's just another credit if you are focused on the wrong account you miss the point but once you have that eternal life once you have that salvation what I believe personally is that nothing can take that away that salvation is completely secure Looking in John 10, if you look over a couple of verses, verse 28 says, No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. You belong to the Good Shepherd. He owns you, He's bought you, He's paid for you with a price, and He ain't trading. He's got you, and He won't let you go. But unfortunately, even though your salvation is secure, there's still one thing that you unfortunately have to be aware of. There's still one thing that could possibly happen to you. In verse 10, it says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. All right, here's your chance to talk back to me again. Who is the thief? great Sunday school answer but let me challenge you and encourage you and warn you really this is part of the problem of taking verses out of context look back at verse 8 all underline that word all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers 
The devil could be one of them. But y'all, sometimes we give him too much credit. The Bible says, even if you go up to the top of chapter 10, you'll see where Jesus is also describing who those thieves and robbers are. He's not talking about Satan in this verse specifically. He's saying all of these things that you have searched after, whether it's people or the things in your life that you're looking to to give you joy, you know what they're doing? You know it. They keep you hanging. They haven't feel, fulfilled that joy yet. They haven't given you that satisfaction. They haven't given you that abundant life that you're looking for, and yet they're still robbing you. They're the robbers. They're the thieves. And what Jesus is simply doing in verse 10 is instead of restating the subject, he's just using that third person plural pronoun. First you had math, now you have English. Okay? He just said the thief. It's a collective reference to the thieves and robbers that he's talking about earlier. And what do these thieves and robbers do? I've already said it. They steal your joy. And you're absolutely right. Because when we see steal, kill, and destroy, and, and guys, you, let me just side note here. You are blessed with incredible huddle leaders this week. From the skit tonight, from the message already delivered, it's on point. And I know that some of you have come up to this mountain this week and you, you feel like your joy is already being robbed. I'm not much for preaching three-point sermons, but if you want three points, here they are. Steal, kill, and destroy. It's a progression. What Jesus is describing is a progression of spiritual malnutrition. He says, the thief, the robber, they've come to steal your joy, to kill your passion, and thereby destroy your heart. Again, some of you are feeling it. Some of you who, are, who have come up this week and have already approached your huddle leaders, approached your huddle, and there's others of you, if we can be honest right now, there's others of you who are feeling the exact same thing that some of your huddle leaders brought up, and yet you haven't really told anybody yet. But you can relate. And, and somehow we convince ourselves, or at least we try to convince ourselves, that, man, I'm feeling like this, or I'm feeling like this, but somehow if I, if I see myself, or if other people see, my, see me as an FCA leader, a spiritual leader, some type of spiritual giant on my campus, then somehow it maybe just negates all of that. I can kind of push it or compartmentalize it, push it in the back of my mind. Guys, it doesn't work that way. Because what will end up happening, again, your salvation is secure. But if you're finding your joy and your satisfaction and your richness in your life by being an FCA huddle leader or a leader at your, on your campus... 
you're missing the point because that's not where your joy is supposed to be found and ultimately what happens is after a while after all of this seeking our joy and our riches and our satisfaction and all these things and then that joy being robbed it eventually destroys our joy for the father essentially we've lost living lives of joy as believers and we walk around grumpy irritated frustrated sourpusses I don't know about y'all but I I know some pretty miserable self-professing Christians and nothing against them I'm not judging them but the point is is that they focus so much on finding joy in all the wrong places even as a believer and it's left them lacking and so now they're frustrated they're angry and they they struggle to worship So, as we close, can I, can I be transparent with you? Can I be honest with you? Do y'all mind that? Can I sit down? Are y'all going to fall asleep on me if I sit down? I hear you snoring. I'm going to come throw my mic at you. Y'all don't think because I'm sitting up here or standing up here or whatever that I've got it all together. don't believe that because I'm as a believer this is something that even your huddle leaders FCA staff we all struggle with it but y'all we have to deal with it and you know God knows I would love to be on FCA staff but that's just not where he has me And, you know, there are days where I am literally, again, just being honest, there are days where I'm literally spending two hours, three hours in prayer and quiet times, not because I'm spiritual or anything like that. It's because I'm struggling for joy. I'm fighting for it. I work for a a secular company. I work for corporate America. And the company does not, by any means, follow Christ. And neither do many of the employees. And it is a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. And, y'all, I have to fight for my joy. Because I know that if I'm not careful it will ruin my worship of my father and I've got to protect my heart because that's where my life comes from you know I could say I haven't figured it out but honestly I figured it out 
I know what the truth is. I, I know who the truth is. But you ought to be honest. There's a huge difference between figuring it out and living it out. And I'm still, day in, day out, grinding it out, fighting for my joy. Can I tell you another little secret? Thank you. As great as they are, your huddle leaders are no different. And I can tell you that because I've been a huddle leader for many years. I know where they're coming from. And if they, if we are not careful, we'll start trying to fill up that credit column again. How many kids in our huddles came to know Jesus? How many FCA camps did I work this summer? How many mission trips did I go on this summer? I'm in college. Am I making the right career choices? Is what I'm choosing to do in my life glorifying to God? God, is this another credit? I'm going to take it one step further. Your FCA coaches aren't any different either. Because I've also been on FCA staff, and I know what the FCA board wants. How many Bibles have you passed out? How's your donor cultivation? Have you raised enough support? How many kids you got from your area going to camp? Credit, 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 credit. And we get there and we realize somewhere along the way, and I know many people, we talk about it all the time, I know many people who have left FCA staff because they got so bogged down in the weeds because they kept focusing on all these things that they kind of just lost the passion for the ministry. You know, there's going to be days, listen to me, there's going to be days that you wake up and it's going to seem like you have more debits than credits. so much more that you're going to feel like, man, I am way over my head. I'm in debt and my account is overdrawn. There's going to be nights that you stay up till 2 a.m. studying for a test. Well, I make that assumption. Maybe some of you will. And the next morning you oversleep and you miss your quiet time and you go through the entire day thinking, man, my day is going to be horrible because I didn't spend time with Jesus. Or you possibly miss that quote-unquote perfect opportunity to share your faith with a classmate or a teammate. And you think, man, God gave me that opportunity and I missed it. Guys, don't focus on the wrong account. Again, all that stuff is great. 
But if that's what you focus on, you're missing the point. Jesus says you want a rich, satisfying, abundant life. You want that? That's me. It's a personal relationship with me. I see your work. I see your heart. I see your effort. But in your walk, forget about leadership. That's just a character trait that you have. I'm more concerned with your heart as a believer. You can do all these great things, but if you miss the point of pursuing Jesus, then you missed it altogether and you're focusing on the wrong account. And Jesus says, I'm the vine. I am the master of the harvest. Come. Find rest in me. Some of you need that tonight. Some of you need to find rest in him. Come, find a relationship with me. Sit with me. For I am the life worth pursuing.